It's wonderful to be able to share with you this morning as we've been here at Concord United Methodist going through our summer sermon series called Surprised by God. And we've been looking at how God surprises us with the vastness of God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's power. And today we're here to talk about how we are continually surprised by God's presence, how God shows up and is really real in our lives, whether we we realize it or not. A few years ago, I was talking to my Aunt Mary and my Uncle Jim. My Uncle Jim's a faithful church member, but he rarely ever talks about religion out loud. And he said to me, he said, Will, you've been to seminary. Where does God live? I said, uh. And he said, Will, God lives in the Grand Tetons. I said, Uncle Jim, how do you know God lives in the Grand Tetons? He'd just gotten back from a trip. He said, just go there and you'll find out. It's the most beautiful place on earth. So we, we were early in our marriage. We found another couple. We planned a trip. And the next summer, we went out to the Grand Tetons. And when we went, we had our checklist, not just of the mountain peaks we wanted to see, but also of the wildlife that we wanted to see. We, we wanted to see moose. And on the very first day, a moose wandered near our lo- Awkward things awkward man big antlers weird body don't get near them powerful too don't tell them they're awkward then then one day we're, we're driving around uh, and we are looking for buffalo and we haven't seen any buffalo and we come over a hill and we just see a field full of buffalo and we're like buffalo check then the next day we're driving along there are all these cars parked on the side of the road so you know when cars are parked on the side of the road out there you just park and you start looking around and then you ask people hey what are we looking at well we stopped we're looking around and they're like over there and all you saw was this big brown rump right and it was a big old bear with its nose and some berries about 70 yards away and it could care less that we were there it was just into those berries so we're like bear check oh, it was about time to go home and we're looking at our list and we're saying this has been an amazing trip but there's one thing that was on our list that we were really hoping to see we haven't seen yet elk we, we hadn't seen any elk and we thought we just, I just like this. They're so big. They've got, got those, those big antlers, we, majestic. We wanted to see elk just out in the, in the wild. We thought may, hope maybe today's the day. Well, on that particular day, we'd planned to drive up to the top of Signal Mountain, not Signal Mountain, Georgia, but Signal Mountain way out there, which is a great spot if you're ever there to watch the sunrise. Because as the sun comes up, the first thing you see is not the sun. The first thing you see is the fog and the mist coming off the river, which is just below you. And you can see the Snake River snaking around uh, through there and understand why they named it the way they did. So we're on top of the mountain and we've got about 30 minutes till sunrise and our conversation turns to how much we want to see elk and how disappointed we are that we haven't seen elk. Well, as the sun just starts to come up, you can't see it yet. You can just start to see around you. We, we see the river. And then as it continues to come up, we see that just below us, uh, there, there are some small trees and kind of a, a bunch of small trees just, just below us that we didn't know were there. And then we notice that those aren't trees, branches, those are antlers. And we are surrounded by a herd 
of elk. The entire time we were complaining about not seeing elk, we were surrounded by a herd. And we could, we could see, I mean, magnificent creatures. But we had no idea if they were there. Sometimes in this life, you can be surrounded by God's love. You can be surrounded by God's mercy and God's presence. And you can have no idea that God's there. That happens to us. In fact, it happens to all of us. And I want you to remember today, I do not want you to leave this space without remembering that just because you don't feel God near doesn't mean God isn't here. Because there are just going to be times in life when you're not going to feel God near. And you need to know in those times, and those times your head needs to tell your heart that you know God's here even when you can't feel God near. That, that's going to happen. Now, the book of James gives us some guidance on how we can experience God's presence. And we're about to dig into this scripture. One thing I'd like to say to you today is that scripture helps us become sensitive to God's presence. I hope you're reading scripture every day. I hope you're praying every day. Friends, it's not easy to understand all of scripture and it's not easy to pray. But I don't read scripture and I don't pray because I'm good at it. I do it because God meets me there. And God's really good at meeting us. So want to encourage you, be a part of our Bible reading plan. You can pick up a copy at the Information Center. You can find it at concordunited.org slash Bible. On the website, you can also find a daily devotional. It's going to take you deeper into the scripture, help you understand more of what it might mean for your life, give you an opportunity uh, and some guidance in your prayer. And if you don't pray every day yet, start with just reading the devotional and praying that prayer at the bottom of it. That's enough. Just start there. Beginning in August, we're going to start a whole year of focusing on learning how to pray. So if you've always thought, I'm not good at it, I don't quite know how, we're going to have a big focus in the next year. But for right now, that's a, that's a great way to get started. And what James has to say really talks to us about why we do that. This comes from James uh, chapter 4, verse 8. And it says, uh, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come near to God. Draw near to God. God will draw near to you. So how do we do that? He says, wash your hands. Well, the point of the message today is not that after the service, we all need to go to the restroom and wash our hands. But if you do, you're supposed to do it for 20 seconds in warm water. If you sing happy birthday, by the time you're done, you're completely sanitary. So just in case you're wondering about that, that was free advice. Well, okay, what, what are we actually supposed to do here? Well, to help us figure this out, I'd like to tell you uh, the story of four teenage boys who got themselves into a little trouble. And spoiler alert, yes, it was me and three others. I had this goal when I was in high school. And the goal was to not be home Friday night until curfew. And then to be gone most of the day Saturday with my friends. I just felt like Friday night and Saturday, those were times for hanging out with your friends. So I had to accomplish this goal, I had to be creative. So one of the creative things I did was I played football and I was in the band. And that took care of my Fridays and my Saturdays because Friday night was football and then Saturday we'd go to band competitions and I'd get a free trip with my friends to somewhere interesting in the Southeast. Well, we had a marching band competition on this particular day 
down in Georgia. We had a pretty good band. And we were going to this big competition with some of the best bands in the area. I remember I went to high school down in Chattanooga at Hickson High School, but I remember Farragut was there. And Farragut was always known as having a great band. Well, we arrived a couple hours before we were supposed to perform. And we did that because our band director wanted us to sit in the stands and watch the other bands and see what we could learn from them. But we had a problem that day. It started to drizzle. Not bad enough to call off or pause the competition, but bad enough it wasn't a lot of fun to watch them unless you were a parent of that particular band. So we gathered underneath the stadium where it was dry, and the director got us together and kind of said, okay, we were in our different groups, and he instructed each group, hey, if you want to go sit and watch, raise your hand. If you want to stay here where it's dry, raise your hand. That way we can split up chaperones uh, and we can have some people up in the stands uh, and some people here we just kind of want to know where y'all want to be well there were four of us and when he said that we immediately he said who wants to go uh, sit outside in the drizzle we're like he should have known he we we were four pretty good guys but in band director speak we weren't first chair material we were kind of more interested in the girls who were sitting in the chair next to us material. And so he should have known something was up. But I think he was just so proud. As he's like, oh, they're getting it. They're connecting. They want to go watch. Well, we wandered out there and we went immediately to the top row of the stadium. And we huddled together in the top row. And one of the guys took off his backpack and from that backpack, we had our ponchos on and we covered that backpack with a poncho and we pulled out this device that while put together by man, I'm convinced was created in God's eternal mind many years before. And it was one of those little black and white box TVs and it had the antenna, right? And we put the antenna up and on that particular Saturday, the University of Tennessee was playing the University of Alabama in a football game at that particular hour and it was late in the second half and the University of Tennessee for the first time in a long time was ahead and we wanted to see what would happen and we pulled it out, we huddled together and we got the signal and we were watching and then some darker clouds rolled in. You see there, there was no signal under the stadium but there's a signal at the top until the darker clouds rolled in. And then it was all staticky and we couldn't pick up much. And we thought, what are we going to do till one of our friends remembered something he'd heard in science class? He remembered, if you have an antenna and you touch the antenna, your body becomes part of the antenna. So there we were in the front row and he's like 6'2". He stands up and it's look like, looking like he's having a spiritual moment because he's got his hand on the antenna and he's going. <laughs> and we got picture and we got sound and it all would have worked out and everyone would have gone home happy except a running back for the University of Tennessee broke off a 30-yard run and happened to do it at the time when another band was playing a very soft, very touching melody and four young men on the top row jump up and start yelling, go, 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 go. And we thought their parents looked at us ugly until we saw our band director looking at us. And we were removed from the stadium at that point and 
placed under the stadium uh, in very close care of some chaperones, uh, one of whom had his Walkman listening to the game and, ke- and kept us updated on the, the events going. It was a devastating game. The game ended in a tie. It was, it was awful. Some of you remember that. Uh, I'm dating myself. But here's what I want you to remember about that. The signal was there. But we couldn't get that signal until one of us became part of the antenna, right? We had to be part of the antenna to get the signal. It's like that with God. You can have everything around you you need to experience God's presence. You can have a good church. I mean, on the internet, you have at the tips of your fingers thousands of years of Bible study. That you have theological resources and commentaries that just 30 years ago would have cost tens of thousands of dollars and you've got them at your fingertips. You can look up any prayer you've ever wanted to pray. Uh, you, you've got, we've got all this stuff around us, but it doesn't matter if we have the resources until we become a part of intentionally seeking to draw closer to God. Many times that signal God's sending us, it's, go, it's going to be all around us and we're, we're not going to pick up on it. Because what happens is we live in this world that's desensitized to God. There are all these things that desensitize. We, we live in a world of busyness. Used to, man, when it got dark, you might light a, light a candle so you can see where you're going, but your work for the day is done. You better wait till God brings the light back in the morning. No more. You can stay busy all day long if you want to stay, bu- stay busy now. You've got your phone. You can doom scroll all day. You, you, you can just entertain yourself to death. Uh, you, you can find a thousand things that don't have a thing in the world to do with you to worry about if you want to. Trust me, you, you can do it. Some of y'all are looking at each other and you're like, that's what you do. <laughs> I know, right? It happens to us and it desensitizes us to God's presence. So here's what I want you to know. In a world that desensitizes us to deity, we must learn to become sensitive to the Son of God. We have to learn how to do this. It takes work. It takes intentionality. And Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us somehow to do this. Many of you know John 3.16. I don't know how many of you know 1 Corinthians 3.16. It's, it's a powerful verse, and I just love that it's a 316. It's almost like God's way of saying, hey, remember this one real good, right? Remember this one real good. So 1 Corinthians 316 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do, do you not understand that that's who you are? And you need to take these things in your life. You were created for God to live in you. You were created for this relationship. You were created for this Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And you need to understand that's how you were designed. And these things that are crowding out the Holy Spirit, that are pushing away God's presence, you've got to remove those. We all know this when it comes to our physical health, right? We all know that our diet and our activity level are, it's going to have a lot to do with how we feel each day. It's going to have a lot to do with how long we live. It may well be the difference in whether we are there to watch our grandchildren walk down the aisle one day or not. It's going to have 
everything uh, to do with that. We get that with our body. We, we, just, we just understand it. Sometimes we're not as quick to understand it with, with our spirits. We're not as quick to understand that if we let things in continually to our spirits that aren't good for us, what they're going to do is they're going to close down the space inside of us that was created for God. I'll tell you the story of the late Trevor Moab. Uh, some of you have, have heard of Trevor. Uh, before his passing away from cancer recently, he was one of the national leaders in mental performance. He worked with Fortune 500 CEOs. He worked with elite special forces in the U.S. military. He worked with world-class athletes, and his job was to help people shape their mind so that they can fulfill their potential. This, this was, was his job. And what he found out was that if you constantly think negatively, and allow a ton of negative influences into your life, it's going to negatively impact your performance in every area of life. He, he helped people move from negative to a, a way of thinking he called neutral, where you could appreciate everything around you and act accordingly. But he was, he was noticing that, and he noticed how much our environment affects us. So he decided to do a study on himself. And some of you are familiar with the book and uh, movie that was written called Supersize Me, where a man decided to have fast food every day for every meal for a month and then check how it affected his health. And, and we kind of know how that worked out. Well, what Trevor did was he allowed negative influences into his life for a month. And he wanted to see how that affected his mental health. Remember, he's, he's a mental health leader. This is who the... Uh, the healthiest people go to to become healthier. And he says, I'm just going to let negative influences in for a month and see how it happens, what happens. And this is what he did. For two hours a day, he would listen to what he described as negative music. And this was the negative music he found. It was country music about uh, your dog dying, your truck breaking down, and your wife leaving you. And it was angry metal music. He listened to the combination of those two sources for two hours a day, and he listened to national TV news that is based on scaring you and is based on making you angry for two hours a day. So I did, four, four hours. Do you know what happened? He couldn't make it through the month. He felt like he was having a psychological breakdown. By day 28, he could have been, he could have been diagnosed with clinical anxiety and depression. One of the people we would have think mentally healthiest, strongest. He lets four hours of unfiltered negativity into himself and even he's not strong enough. We, we, have to, we have to know how to make space for God. We have to know what we must do because sometimes we say, well, I want God, but there are these things that are crowding God out and we're meant to be a temple, right? Do you remember when Jesus went into the temple and he, he turns over the tables of the money changers? I mean, uh, we, we, we don't know ex exactly what was going on there, but we know he's like, hey, this focus, this isn't it. And what did he say? He said, is it not written that my father's house should be a house of prayer? The presence of God, right? Think about you and your life. The scriptures say you're a temple. Shouldn't your body be a house of prayer to God? Shouldn't your spirit 
be a house to seek the, the presence of God. And we, when we do this, I, I need you to know it. We need to seek, but it's not about how expert we are. It's about, allow, it's, what it's really about is allowing God to meet us where we are. I love the way the psalmist says this in Psalm 139. And this is somebody who's been through the ups and downs of life. And life has just had them on a roller coaster. And this is what they discovered on that roller coaster. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold my, me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. And... Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. He's saying wherever you're at in life, God's seeking to encounter you there. God will meet you right there. And that sounds good. That sounds obvious. Except it's the opposite of the way we think often when we go through key moments in life. And so today, I want you to remember that God is not offended by your failures. God is not mad about your mess. God is not annoyed by your heartache. And God is not surprised by your success. Often in those moments, uh, we just think, well, uh, you know, when things aren't going well, we think, well, when things are going well, I'll experience God again. And when things are going great, we have our greatest moments of success. Sometimes we think I did that and we forget to say thank you. God's present in all of those times. And we've got to learn to become sensitive to God's spirit. You know, there's this phrase in our culture right now that you hear. People will say, I'm living my best life now. There's something attractive about that phrase, my best life now. And then I read Paul and I read the New Testament. And Paul nowhere says he's living his best life now. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Uh, Paul Paul and the the New Testament tell us that we are uh, pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, right? It doesn't say best life now. It says God's with you now. That's what the the New Testament says. And also that you have problems. You've got sins. When I hear the phrase best life now, I look at the New Testament. I think the New Testament talks about best life later. And yes, I do think the best your life can be now is is with Jesus. Obviously, I think that. But sometimes when we have that mentality of everything should be the best right now, we don't take into account the mentality of the difficulty just of life and of our own weakness and our sin. When I hear that phrase, best life now, I just want to become like a early 1900 Baptist frontier preacher and go, you're all sinners, every one of you. (laughs) Do I need something for my throat now? (laughs) But when you mess up, when you sin, when you fail, when you fall short, God's not surprised and God's not devastated. God's there to forgive and God's there to restore and God's there to teach you something about your love that you'd never realize so long as you think you're perfect and you think that somehow you can be good enough on on your own. God's there. And when your life is a mess 
and you can't see the, the, the way ahead, when your heart's broken and you don't know how to get through another day, God's right there. And God doesn't get tired or overwhelmed with your heartache and go, oh, what am I going to say to them today? How am I going to help them today? God's not overwhelmed. God's right there and God's ready. And God might lead you through a time in life when you don't see the road ahead, when you're not sure what the next steps will be. That doesn't mean God doesn't have blessing in store for you. In fact, sometimes in my life, if God had told me what was coming next, I would have been overwhelmed. I might have backed out. And God just gave me as much as I could handle. And then the next day, God gave me the strength for the next day. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, hey, why, why do you worry about tomorrow? Today's difficult enough. Just focus on being faithful today. And God's going to take care of tomorrow. I can tell you, and, and I'm sorry about this. This might shake some of you up. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't tell you what's going to happen for you tomorrow. I can't tell you what's going to happen for me tomorrow. Aside from this, whatever it does, God will be there and God will be enough. And whatever we've got today, God will be there and God will be enough. And when I worry about today and trust God with tomorrow, that seems to be the time when I live the happiest and the most at peace, at least for me. There's a young man started coming to our church a couple years back. And shortly after he did, he, he asked to meet with me and we, we met together. And he was trying to get to know people in the church. And I, I inquired about him. I said, hey, um, I'm really glad you're, you're here and getting involved. What, what brought you to the church? And this is big time intentionality on your part. I mean, to talk to a pastor about helping getting connected at the church, this is big time. What, what gave you that motivation? He said, well, I moved here about two years ago. And I moved here because I was in a serious relationship with a young lady and I just graduated with my degree and I had a job and it was kind of a starter job, but it was with a company and they all but guaranteed me that in two years I would move up to a different job that was more a career track job. Said, Here, here's what's happened. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we, we split up. He said, she's not a bad person. It just didn't work out. We split up. But after we split up, I realized that since she was from here, all my friends were her friends. And her family's all around here, but mine's not. And we went to her church. And those are all her people. And I, wasn't, I didn't have a church anymore that I felt comfortable at after we split up. He said, then a month after that, my boss tells me that position we were going to move you into, things have gotten tight. We're not opening that position. He's like, now I'm looking at needing to switch jobs or companies because I can't stay in a starter job too much, too much longer. I've got to begin moving up along my, my career path. And the only people I knew outside of my significant other, who's no longer uh, significant, now she's just other, um, he said, they're going to be gone when I, when I leave work. He said, I, I felt like I was falling apart. And he said, I was raised in church. I didn't much know how to, to pray about this. But one night I was watching TV and I was just clicking around. And I realized I was miserable. And so I finally, after hours and hours, far too many that I should have watched, I, I turned off the TV and I just sat there in darkness in my apartment thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And he said, right then I just got this overwhelming 
sense that Jesus was right there in the living room with me. And he said these words, I didn't hear them audibly, but they came into my head. And the only words I heard were, did you really think I'd leave too? Did you really think I'd leave? And he said that was all I needed to hear. And I decided that I needed to go find another church. And I needed to get connected. And that, that started him on a great path. But did you really think I'd leave too? He went on to say that I had to be honest. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I, I felt no one was there for me. But he wouldn't do that. He was right there in the middle of the heartache and in the middle of the mess. And not only is he's there, but he's also there for you when you're on top of the mountain. When you feel like you've, you've conquered the world. My grandfather grew up in Alexandria, Tennessee, my father's father, and he was a strong believer in education. He really wanted to be the first in his family to go to college, and had he been able to go to college, we are 99.5% certain that he would have been a Methodist preacher or a lawyer. He, was, he did not mind at all to sit at the dinner table and make his arguments, both political and theological to us, for hours on end. We're pretty sure that's what he would have done, but here's what happened. The Great Depression happened. And shortly after the Great Depression happened, his father had what we believe was a sudden appendicitis attack, and it killed him. And suddenly, he needed to support his mother. So instead of going on for more education, he went into construction and became a, a construction worker for several years until he could get on in this new town that was being built in the 1940s called Oak Ridge. Well, he never got to go back to school. Never got advanced education. So you better believe his son and daughter were going to get advanced education. Well, his daughter grew up and she became a teacher and he couldn't have been more proud of her. Graduated from ETSU. His son, my father, grew up, became a preacher. He couldn't have been more proud of him. And my father uh, got a master's degree and then he went back for the, his doctorate. And nobody knew how much the doctorate meant to Pop. That's my granddad, till the day my dad received it. My dad walked across the stage to receive his doctorate at Emory University in Atlanta. And when he came off the stage, his father grabbed him and embraced him. And in tears said to his son, we did it. We did it. We did it. That, that doctor's degree didn't start in the 1980s. That doctor's degree started in the Great Depression. That doctor's degree started with a young man standing over his father's grave thinking, what in the world am I going to do now? We did it. Do you think for a moment after that experience that my father thought he got a doctorate on his own? Do you think that piece of paper on his wall means half to my father what the memory of that hug means, means to him? But sometimes in life, we go and we have a big success and we forget that Jesus is right there beside us going, we did it. We did it. Because we think, me did it. And in those moments, to become a temple of the Holy Spirit, we've got to learn to thank God and say, we did it. I want to close with this. This is Psalm 34, verse 8. It's my favorite song. And it's a great scripture to read right before lunch, okay? This is the best pre-lunch scripture 
there is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, if you're going to experience the presence of God, we can tell you about it. We can give you studies about it. We can sing about it. We can preach about it. We can write about it. We can make videos about it. But you're going to have to seek it yourself. And you're going to have to taste it and see for yourself. That when you're heartbroken, when you failed, when you're unsure where to go, when you're on cloud nine, and when you're just walking through a normal day, God's there. God's there, right there for you. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you. We thank you, God, that you are not offended by our failures and our sins, but that you would go to the greatest length to redeem us from them. We thank you that you are not mad about our messes or our confusion, but that you have a plan for us and you will show us just as much as we need to know. We thank you that you are not annoyed or overwhelmed by our heartache and our heartbreak, but you are there to mend broken hearts and to soothe and heal bruised spirits. Nor are you surprised by our successes, but you are beside us, helping us, guiding us for every good gift comes from you. And we thank you that you are there in the sacred and in the mundane, in the phenomenal moments and in the everyday moments. And so God, we thank you for drawing near to us. Teach us to draw near to you. We want nothing more than this. We, your children, pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.